Hey everybody, welcome to the I Can't Help You podcast. Uh, today we are joined in the studio with uh, the co-host, well actually the host, and I was sort of, I was sort of traveling, but a couple years ago, uh, my entree into podcasting, I accepted an invitation from Mr. Matt Sullivan, who is hosting a show called Take Your Pick, otherwise known as Take Your Pick. Aloha. Yeah, and it was an NFL show, and that show just got so popular, right, Matt? Explain it, a little to the people what happened with that show. Well, we started off with just a little bit of a garage thing. You know, we just wanted to sit there and talk about the things we would normally talk about. Next thing you know, we're getting overrun. We yeah. have famous people in the studio. ESPN we're getting calls. Colin. We're getting yeah. requests. I'm putting together a tape to send out. I'm trying to get on a sports center, yeah. at least on like the Ocho. Yeah. Start small, right. work our way up. Right. You tried to do some solo stuff, got really experimental. Yeah, I, I did some solo stuff, but like I think what I learned about that was that like the magic that happens with our podcasting together really is sort of, you know, it's two, it's one plus one equals four. Yeah. Not just one plus iron one. Iron sharpens equals. iron, Danny. That's just true. And yeah. I'm looking at you, Max, right now, and you, you're believing it. I believe it. Max Sayers in the studio. Max Sayers, everybody. Too. Say hi to Max, everybody. Hello, Max. What's going on? Nothing much. Yeah. Excited to be here. I'm glad that you're here. Max told me before the show, Matt and I, Max and I actually literally met this morning. I think we might have met one other time because you looked from We didn't? No. So we didn't meet. So we just met like a little while ago. I've seen your picture. Well, that's fine. Please blotter and stuff, you know. <laughs> um, but anyway, so welcome. It's, I'm glad that you're here. And thanks for listening to the show. You said you've listened to a few before. Yep. Sweet. Long time listener, first time attendee. <laughs> exactly. Feels great. And Lauren's here, of course. Hey, everyone. Yeah. So anyway, I was just saying before we got going, I said, Max, you know, I don't ever really have a plan when we come into the studio. And he said, I've listened to a couple of shows. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, there's really no plan. So with, when I'm in here, I always want to talk about sports when I'm with Matt because we kind of naturally do. Um, <clears throat> I think we'll start there and then go into some other places if that's cool. So something I've been wanting to ask you, because Matt and I are both big football fans. Well, Huge. big sports fans in general. Big football fans. And we love our football. Mm-hmm. We love college football. We love pro football. I like Australian rules. I like Australian rules. I'll Canadian occasionally football, watch a little bit of Canada. The Edmonton Eskimos. Right? Let's go Eskimos. Yeah. Keep that goalpost exactly mm-hmm. where it's supposed to be. Yeah. So where people Keep it dangerous. It. Yeah. yeah. Make it part of the play. 100%. Football's arena football I never really got safe. into. Did you ever get into the arena ball? For a brief moment. Yeah. For yeah. like a second. Yeah. yeah. Like everyone else did. Yeah. But the XFL like, I thought had more promise. Exactly. Anyway, so the thought that has come up for me a couple of times, because I know like you are a very well-read man. You're a well-educated dude. Um, we're both pretty socially conscious and all this stuff. Are you experiencing any feelings of guilt watching the NFL now, knowing that people's brains are being destroyed? Hmm. Yes. Me too. Yeah, I, I, I feel pretty clearly at this point that I'm watching people intentionally hurt themselves. Yeah, yeah. Where I can sleep at night around it is the voluntary and contractual nature of it, um, the economic opportunity that's available that's there, but then I also think that it disproportionately impacts communities of um, color and that we're not doing nearly enough in order to prevent and then proactively help people after they've left the sport, mm-hmm. which we've chronically never done is actually help people be you know, educated or vocationally trained to be able to have a life after football. That's always been a challenge that the NFL has never looked at really seriously. And this just is the extra layer on top of it that's neurobiological. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. I have the same thing. Like I have some feelings about it and especially cause like my kids now are like, that does CTE. I'm not watching that. You know, like there's this in May, you know, and Quinlan, they don't, they, they watch a Super Bowl, but like that was about it. Mm-hmm. And they just like, I'm not supporting this. Like, I don't like the way that it's going. I have mixed feelings about it. I mean, I think there's so much information out there now that people still should have free choice. If you want to play football mm-hmm. and you know what the risks are, then you can do that. Yeah. The socio- gentleman economic- just died at the rodeo. Right. No, no, the trying socio- to say don't go to the rodeo. pieces of it, that's undeniable. Like, that's 100% White rich true. kids don't play football anymore. No, they play lacrosse. Right. They play lacrosse. They play basketball. They swim. Yeah. Soccer. They do other things. But Lots they don't of do concussions for- in soccer, actually. True. And basketball, actually. My son, Dev, had a big... Contact you know, sport. Gotta- yeah. A lot more is. contact than you Stick think. Stick to golf. Golf. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. How about you, Matt? Do you have any mixed feelings about football? I used to watch it a lot more like five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. And I actually, on this topic, have been watching a lot less because I feel like within my lifetime, it'll either be significantly less popular or just like not a thing at all. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I think a lot more people will pick baseball and basketball and other sports like soccer because parents just won't let them play. But here's the interesting thing though. So, I agree. And people say that. And then people are like, well, football's just going to completely go away. 50 years from now, the NFL won't be here. The NFL is as popular this year as it's ever been. Mm-hmm. The TV ratings were higher this year. 47 out of the top 50 television shows in the fall of 2018 were NFL. Oh, America's so, second favorite sport. What do you think this is the first? NASCAR. The most watched sport in the really? United States is NASCAR. Really? More oh. than football? I, I'm about 93% sure on that number. But You're just I feel pretty... some Ke- Kelly Corn about right now? Uh, Ke- Kelly Corn, everybody. everybody. Kelly <laughs> Corn, everybody. Kelly Corn. Uh, no, I, I think that's the, the direction that it goes, and it's the nature of the schedule as well, right? Baseball with 162 games, basketball with 82. Yeah. If you miss one game, you miss one race. You're kind of missing the whole thing. Yeah. I do think you can look at the current NFL and see where the future is going. It's essentially going to be light contact seven on seven. Yeah. There's no no offensive and defensive line. If we look at the injuries that we see from people – that result in long-term chronic stuff, that's typically the linemen and the linebackers. Right. It's not as much as we want to say. It's those big crushing hits that we see on the outside, and those are the ones that pop out to us, but right. those aren't the 30 to 40-mile-an-hour car accidents that happen every 8 to 10 seconds that yeah. the linemen are going that's through smash, currently. smash, smash, smash. That, yeah. That's really the danger, yeah. I think, that we need to look at. And then linebackers use themselves as projectiles. So as much as we see it in safeties and wide receivers, really it's the, the big folks on the line that I have the most worry about. So you take them off the field – may basically make it flag or touch and then you just have lots of points which is where i think the xfl or arena ball or those types of modalities come together yeah but that's when i stopped watching so that was kind of i just don't think it'll be the same anymore and i think there's an issue where people from like the 70s and stuff have died in their cte but the current watchers haven't seen like their heroes now, what is going to happen to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good point. Like you've seen the Steelers defensive linemen and offensive linemen all die like horrible deaths from the 70s. And when someone, it won't necessarily be Peyton Manning, but when someone's Peyton Manning dies like that, they're going to be like, this sucks. Mm-hmm. That's Junior Seau for me a little bit. Yeah. yeah. No, that was relevant enough for me from, from that time. Yeah. 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 All right, well, moving moving right along. Can, also, can we just real quick talk yeah. about how the NFL all of a sudden found social justice? Oh, dude. <laughs> all Remember, of a what, sudden. What did we used to get pissed about? Well, first of all, I didn't, I didn't like the breast cancer awareness thing. I've lost people to breast cancer, so I'm a little bit jaded there. But mm-hmm. that whole, like, pink this, pink that, I just thought it was like a sham. It's not really helping anything. Yeah. You know? We used to get pissed about that. Mm-hmm. Football's family. What else did we... 
I mean, we're pissed all the time. We're but in like a light and playful but still meaningful way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you could go back, like, what what one change would you make to the sport, radically make to the sport, to either make it safer or just straight up more entertaining? I'd stop wearing helmets. I was just going to say, actually. <laughs> like, where like where could football be in the next 50 years? No helmets. Stop wearing helmets. Because people are not going to lead with their head in that same way. And I don't know about, you know, everybody says, well, there weren't concussions, but come on, please. Wait, mm-hmm. There weren't concussions when people wore leather things. Like, how do we know? Like, we didn't keep yeah. track of stuff. People were smoking on the sidelines pretending everything was okay, you know? So it's like, it's a totally different time. Mm-hmm. The only one smoking on the sidelines in the last decade was Jay Cutler. <laughs> Smoke a Jay Cutler, everybody. <laughs> it was the only thing. Nobody ever, even knows what we're talking it about. It was the only completion <laughs> I ever had was one marble light. My base is dropping off of this show very quickly. <laughs> change the we're, subject. We're sh- yeah. Change the subject. All right. Let's change the subject. All right. So I'm curious about, you know, this is, I, I resist talking politics on this show. I almost never talk politics on the show. A couple daggers here and there, but mm-hmm. that's about it. You're a political junkie. I'm a political junkie. It's real. How deep is this Mueller thing going? Where are we at? I think... I think the idea that it's wrapping up anytime soon is as factually accurate as how often it was said when it was the first year of the Mueller investigation and his attorneys came out and said, yeah, we should be done by Thanksgiving. I would be embarrassed if it's not done by Christmas. And that was two Christmases ago. Yeah. Um, I think as far as special counsel investigations, this one's not slow or fast. It's on time. If you look at what the star report took in order to finish, it was a long period of time. Um, I personally think at this point the bigger exposure for the Trump family is coming from the Southern District of New York. Um, I think that's going to be a bigger deal for them in the near to immediate future. Um, But it's hard not to see like Roger Stone throw up the Nixon sign as he's going to the courthouse and wonder who wrote this novel and when does it end and why is it not a choose-your-own-adventure it's bizarre. <laughs> I've, I've had a prediction all along. Trump will resign before his first term is over. I still believe that will be true. And the only reason why he will, because, of course, he's an ego that would not normally do that. Like, he's mm-hmm. not going to admit defeat. In exchange for dropping some criminal charges, in exchange for knowing his family won't end up in jail, mm-hmm. my guess is the guy will let it go and say, can't drain the swamp. It's out of control. Screw it. I'll do more in the private sector. I'm mm-hmm. out of here. That This... This country is so diseased that even I can't lead it. Mm-hmm. That will be sort of his last I thought defense. I was the only one who could fix it. Yeah. Turns out Mike Pence actually has a better shot yeah. at it. He's a career <laughs> politician. Let him do that. You mm-hmm. know, that kind of a thing. Which assumes that Mike Pence doesn't also become somehow implicated. I want to be, now that we're actually talking about it in open space, I want to step back like and say, I actually do believe it's important to wait until the investigation is over. I think that the nature of investigations is that people have to be presumed innocent. You mean respect due process? You have to respect Mm -hmm. due process. And so as much as I want Congress to be doing its oversight responsibility, which I think is its job and its role and its co-equal branch of government, I I don't want to necessarily get caught rooting for the Mueller investigation because I think that pre-bias is an outcome. I'm open to whatever it is because the most important thing is that we don't have our our elections interfered with again in the future because it could be you know democrats last time republicans next time sure it's that time of the show again ding 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 ask a millennial here we go (laughs) what do you think are you into politics? Do you even care about this I'm not super stuff? into it, but with regard to the due process thing, it makes it a little hard to, like, 
wait for the due process when the president tries to shut down the due process at every single turn. That's the main thing that I take away every time I see a headline. Hmm. That he's just basically uh, interfering with the election from kind of firing Comey onward. This yeah, guy's like, been trying to make this go away and it's not going away. Saying shut down the investigation doesn't really make people think that Nothing you're innocent. <laughs> right, right. Thou doth protest too loudly type of a thing. Yeah. Lauren, what do you think? Man, I think a lot of things about about this investigation. Um, I, I do, I do agree that um, that with with Trump in this position, he could it could be a case where he could say, you know what, I resign. I did everything I could. I I do I do agree with that, but also he's just he's so. Stupid, stu- stupid is not, like, the best word to describe it. He's so headstrong that I don't... Where it, the opposite could happen, where he could just stick to his guns and then just be shot down and then just just go down in flames because he's just so stuck on winning. Yeah, yeah, which, that's a good point. Which pretty much, which pretty much dictated, like, the whole, the whole wall thing was pretty much, like, it's just such a minuscule thing, but he he wants some kind of win. It's not that much different than Trump's buildings in New York City. I remember when I was really little, there was um, on the um, near the UN, there was this. He was building this like giant building, and I remember there were these protests, and there was this. Um, there was like a news. There was like a news team, and I was walking with my mom, and they were like, "What do you think of the Trump building?" And so to me, this isn't that much different, except the stakes are significantly higher. Mm. It's with, with the, with the investigation. I mean, I, I, I mean, I do agree that like, as much as I do want to respect due process, it's just, just like all these things that he says just implicates that he has not done things any self-reflection and, at yeah. any point in his life anywhere. Yeah, um, basically. Probably. Um, all right. <laughs> well, what, what is, what's on your guys' mind? Like, what is it when you wake up and you're walking around? I'm really curious, you know, during the day. Max, what do you, what, is there anything, what's, what's on your mind, man? Like, what are you going to be thinking about today? What are some of the preoccupations you have in your life? Well, I'm really upset that Anthony Davis wasn't traded. Ah, uh, where did you want him to go? What's your team? Um... I'm not a Laker fan, but I like watching LeBron in the playoffs. Yeah. So I would have liked the Lakers to be not terrible. I'm actually a Trailblazer fan, so that's nice. kind of in the back. They never do anything. Mm. They're always good at home. Yeah. And they always go nowhere in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, that's yep. just how it goes. Yeah. It's it's true. Um, are you interested in politics? Do you like that kind of stuff? Or are you just sort of like... Uh, of it interests me, but I try not to speak on things that I don't feel I know enough about to like project a strong opinion oh don't let that stop you <laughs> well, don't ever let that stop you. Yeah. anyway i'm just kidding yeah no, it seems like a it seems like it's prudent it's brooding yeah. yeah it's prudent yeah so you've listened to a couple of shows mm-hmm. what, what what kinds of things do you like to hear about when you're when you're on the when you're listening to the show um i liked the episode with wes a lot uh that was crazy i liked um the one where you had colleen on that yeah. was fun to listen to yeah a little bit of banter yeah uh I'm not really sure any specific topic because I'm about as sure of a specific topic as you are. Got it. Got it. 
You know, I'm, I, I, I've just been, well, I'm also curious, though, what do you think about that whole thing, like, uh, as someone who, you know, is kind of a participant in one of the programs, what, what, when you first saw that, like, the founder had a podcast called I Can't Help You, mm. what, did you have any thoughts about that? What do you think about the title? And what do you think about that statement, I Can't Help You? Um, it didn't really, the title didn't mean much to me. I was like, meh. It also made me think, I don't really know what this is going to be about. Right. And uh, it was accurate. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> good, I guess. Matt, what do you think? What do you think about helping people? Can you help people? I, I think you can help people. But I, I like the, the subtle implication that I can't help you because you have to be invested in helping yourself. And I can just walk and guide and coach you along that path. So it's, I see the, the message right next to it and right beneath it. So I like it. What, who are some of the mentors in your life? I've been meaning to ask you that. Like you've, you mentor a lot of people. You've, you've been working at Aim House for how long now? Eight years? Seven years? Almost eight, yeah. Yeah, almost eight years. You've mentored a lot of people, run Life Labs, run the program. Like, so you've mentored a lot of people. And I'm curious for you, who have been some of the mentors in your life that, that steered you kind of in the direction you've gone? Well, I mean, one of the easier parts, obviously, you're in the room, you know, so I can give a tip. Besides me, I love you, you, but besides me, who's been a good mentor to you? Well, it's it's in no particular order because I think you can find them in all sorts of places, but I'd have to give a huge shout out to Kelly Korn. You know, I think he's taught me a lot about balance and sense of humor and purpose and vision and long-term vision. Um, one of my first mentors here was Julia Neural. Um, who's kind of my fairy godmother at this point. Shout yeah. out to Julia. She's like in Africa or something right now. She's going on a long walk. She's like eat, pray, love or something. I don't know yeah. what's going on, but it's cool. And I, I wish her nothing but good things. Well, and she just, for me, she's always just showed up in my life whenever I really needed her to without yeah. really having to ask yeah. um, and, and gives me an opportunity to, to break down yeah. in a way that I think is um, rejuvenating as yeah. opposed to just destructive. Right. Um, before that, Victoria Olson, yeah. you know, my first program director, shout yeah. out. Shout out. Um, she taught me a lot about... Expand mentoring, check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, about loving boundaries. You know, I never felt as held in my position as I did when Victoria was my supervisor because I knew exactly what was expected of me. Mm. Um, and I knew that she would see me. And so I, I think I've learned from a lot of places and I think those are the easy ones to look up to. But I also think... I've had a lot of families that I feel like have been my mentors and participants who have been my mentors. And I can't really speak their names without asking them necessarily, but I've had plenty of times where I'm on the phone with the family and I have to put the phone on mute and kind of regather my emotional self because I realize I just got hit with something that I hadn't thought of or seen. Truth um, bombs. Yeah, where I'm like, Boom. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I have to step back and step back into that. So um, a lot of people I can't necessarily name in that space, but... I'd say those are easy few. What about teachers? Did you have teachers growing up that, that had an impact on you? Totally. Yeah. My uh, editor-in-chief, or not my editor-in-chief, but more my journalism advisor, Austin Baugh. Um, and we used to do, kind of like how Max, when you finished out The Advocate, we used to do a school newspaper, and we would be up to like 2 o'clock in the morning trying to lay out copy, but using you know old Adobe programs, mm. having to go to the print shop and... So Ba would take us out with the other editors in chief at like three o'clock in the morning to Denny's to celebrate having finished the, you know the the, the spot for that month, which was really great. Um, and then Miss Holland, Patricia Holland, who was my AP comp and lit um, teacher, and she taught me the idea of so what, so what about it? Mm-hmm. You know, moving on to As level. A writer. Yeah. yeah, it's like cool. So what? It's like yeah. well, here's the what. It's like so what about it? And having to really move to that level two and level three thinking that. Um, I look back on and feel like that's something I practice every day. Mm, mm. I had, and this is going to be politically incorrect. I had a seventh grade 
English teacher who taught me to write, you know, and one of the things that she said, which you could not get away with today, but had an impact on me as a writer, for sure, was that writing should be like a young woman's skirt, long enough to cover the territory, but short enough to be interesting. That's what she said. Now, now I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Shut up, haters. I know it's coming. I don't say that out loud. But my whole point is, is that that was like, out of all the writing tips yeah. that I ever got, that's, that's the one that sticks with me more than any other, right? Yeah. Because it found a way I in. I jokes to follow that up, but I'm not yeah. going there. But, and it found, it found a way in, right? Like, yeah. And that's, that's the thing about trying to be in a mentoring relationship is you have to be open to receiving it, but someone else has to speak the language to get in in the first place. Yeah. You know? And sometimes that's not going to be clean. Sometimes that's not going to be how you trained it. Right. You know, I experienced that all the time. Half my job is apologizing for something I didn't say skillfully. Right. Yeah. Right. Max is nodding up and down. Right. <laughs> yeah, if you do this work long enough, you learn to lose. Yeah. You learn how to lose, mm -hmm. you know, like we're always going for wins, but you learn how to lose. And, and, and being a parent, that's another one. Like I, I lose daily. Yeah. Just lose, you know, like, okay, well, I'm not going to win that. A friend of mine says, though, you lose, but you get to be you. So yeah. you got to learn how to lose, but you get to be you. The trade-off is you don't have to be another person. You mm -hmm. get to be you. I, I, that feels like a fair exchange for me. I get to lose, but I get to be myself. Um, I'm obsessed with the word change, right? Yeah. Max, do people change? Well, I read what you just wrote about this. So uh -huh. I'm going to agree with you and say no. Cheat sheet. <laughs> <laughs> well, you edited it, right? No, no, I didn't edit it. By the way, Max you know, made reference earlier. He, he, he just, you, just did the, you just put together the whole advocate, right? Our newsletter, our Aim House newsletter? Uh, I wrote pretty much every article. Other than mine? Other than yours. Right. So if you like what you're reading there besides mine, that's all Max here. Mm -hmm. are, you, are you a writer? Is that something you aspire to do? Or is that uh, just that's something, something recently I decided to like work on because I was really tired of doing math. I was always like, I'm good at math, so I should do that. And then later I was like, I don't really want to do that. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I felt like, because before this, uh, being smart was always just doing math and science. And I was like, there's probably other ways to be smart. So I decided to try and get better at this. Do you have goals, career aspirations? Are there things that you're looking at you want to do when you're done with school and all that? Or is it just kind of an open canvas for you right now? It's kind of an open canvas. I've got ideas, nothing too solid, but there are, there's a lot of possibilities. What has to happen for you to succeed? For you, whatever that looks like. If you had to make it your own prescription of that, for me to succeed and have my options be open and be quote unquote successful, what has to happen for you? Uh, I think scheduling. Just writing things down and staying with it is a big one. When I write things down and I plan things out, they happen. Mm. And when I don't, it's a toss-up. Mm -hmm. It like might maybe happen. So, maybe not. Yeah. And if I don't write it down and it happens, I might trick myself into thinking that's okay. Yeah. So I think that is, in the short term, a really big one. Do you think it's the actual reminder of what we're doing? Or do you think it's, it's the pen to paper sets an intent that's different than just a thought I might have? Well, for me, it's having everything written out so that you can see when you need to do things. As opposed to just having it all sitting in your head and having mm. an overwhelming amount of things on your plate that are like spaced out on a calendar as opposed to just on your mind mm -hmm. where something can slip by really easily. Yeah. So you read that article, but forget that article. Change. Do people change? Have you changed? That's a tough one. Uh, I think people change, but I think like the core way they act and see things 
doesn't really change. It just like takes on new lenses. Hmm. Like someone who's cynical will probably be cynical for a long, long time, if not ever. You think they're born cynical? I don't know. It's I don't a weird know. One, right? I, can, I don't know if I can answer that one. Right. Like born cynicism. I mean, it gets into that nature nurture yeah. type of a thing. Some like cynicism is interesting to me though, because I wonder like, is that just something that if it weren't modeled, you wouldn't be cynical? Yeah. Yeah. And is there sarcastic? Healthy, is there healthy cynicism? Is there healthy cynicism? I think so. Yeah. Today especially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't well, believe half of what you see and what, what's that saying go? Never mind. I just botched it already. Yeah. <laughs> Don't believe half of the said here. Ninety percent of all statistics are sixty percent true. <laughs> Those Snapple yeah. caps. <laughs> Do you journal, Max? Um, no. Strong. No. Can't bring myself to do it. Why not? I don't know. I I feel weird when I write about it. I've never I've never liked writing about myself, and it's even harder for me to read things that I write. So it it just puts me in a really weird place when I try to do it. Hmm. Did you go to Wilderness? I did. What'd you think of that? Oh, that was interesting. Yeah? yeah. <laughs> Talk about that a little bit, because that's, that's something I think, you know, if you're comfortable. Yeah. You know, we haven't really had anybody say, like, what was their wilderness experience like? Like, what was that? What's it like? All of a sudden, you're going from living in suburbia to, like, living out of a tent and busting a fire and stuff? Well, tent is generous. It was a piece of tarp that yeah, you strung that... up to a tree. Okay. Um, it's a... Uh, it's a drastic change, and I think the hardest part is, like, being in a group of other people of varying degrees of willingness to participate, and you have to get them to do everything. Otherwise, things just don't happen, and it can be pretty awful at some points because, like, one person can make the whole experience go downhill really, really fast. Mm. So that's probably the hardest part is trying to, like, form a group cohesion of a bunch of other dysfunctional young adults. Right. Right. The vibe, though, what you're saying is that group, like one person drastically. Do you mm-hmm. think about that maybe as a microcosm, though, for oh, yeah. for other people? I mean, it's, it's magnified there, right? Yeah. Like the whole thing's supposed to be like a metaphor for everything else you do in life, which is generous. But like the, the, <laughs> the same concepts still apply, you know? Yeah. It's You have to learn how to deal with people that you don't necessarily want to deal with or feel like you should have to deal with. Right. And life is full of that for sure. Yeah. What, um, what's your takeaway from wilderness? Like if you had, like, if you had to say, I think the biggest thing I got out of wilderness was. Biggest thing I got out of wilderness was an appreciation for what I had, because the last thing I want to do is go back to wilderness. Right. So I definitely appreciate the smaller things I have and the opportunities that I have and the struggles that I don't have. Mm. Mm. What common things do you see about program kids? Like, you know, people who are in programs, like, is there a common denominator? I mean, everybody's issues are different from all over the place. But in terms of, like, what are some of the commonalities you see? Um, there's a lot of entitlement that goes on. Hmm. Like, I shouldn't have to do this. Hmm. Someone else should, like, we're paying this much money to be here. We shouldn't have to do this. Hmm. And it's like, homie, you're paying to do this. That's, right. that's what you're paying for right now. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, let's rephrase that. You ain't paying for shit. Yeah, no, your Someone else is paying, paying for you to right do that. Now. So it's very important to them, yeah. apparently, that you learn how to do some of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's the main, like, on the surface thing that you see. A lot of things that happen with treatment kids, they've, everyone's gotten so good at hiding because mm. they went so long without showing it that that's how they ended up in this situation. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Mm. Mm. 
So what's your plan? How, how do you stay out of programs? Oh, that's a really simple question with a really, really complicated, not really, it's not answered yet. Take I a don't shot. Know. Take a shot. Uh, stay on top of my life, which sounds simple, but there's so much that goes into that. And just doing the things I'm supposed to do, like school, I, all I want to do is go back to school. Mm. And all I want to do is succeed in that and move on to the next thing mm. and just keep pushing forward into whatever the next thing is. Sounds like the habits of that, the kind of rebooting and habits of that for you is what's really important. Mm -hmm. Like to reestablish sort of a baseline of productivity where you're staying on top of things and you're connected to it. Yeah. Where does what you like doing fall into it? <sighs> Don't snap at me, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the issue more so right now than the... Um, productivity habits is uh i don't i struggle with self-care as mm. it were mm. uh i don't i don't know i'm starting a piano thing on monday yeah hoping to make that a big part of my self-care again mm -hmm. in quotes mm -hmm. um other than that i'm not really sure do you cringe when you even say self-care i do yeah i yeah. can see it in your body and i, I do too mm -hmm. why I, do you think that is because uh i associate it specifically with uh where i am right now yeah and it's just another like obstacle in the moment right now like it feels like annoying when people say that to you yeah like let's remember to practice self-care and you're like what the hell is that well and also like, mass shower also like things like that usually don't annoy you unless they're accurate yeah oh oh yeah okay all right all right <laughs> <laughs> and uh i'd say that one's accurate okay cool yeah, and I think I think my own experience, and part of the reason I wrote that <clears throat> that particular newsletter that you were talking about mm -hmm. about change, which is in the New Advocate, by the way, in case you're looking for it, written mostly by this guy sitting next to me and myself. But um, I, <clears throat> anyone who's heard me speak, I I never don't mention this idea that I don't think people really change. Mm -hmm. I do think behaviors do in a huge way. And I think it's, you know, like the way someone's life can look is completely different. But the fundamental thing that someone has, they're damaged and flawed and need to change what that is in order to be okay. I feel like from my experience, that's a, that's, that's a scam because I have to basically reject who I am in order to accept some new me. And guess what? There is no new me. I'm, it's just the same person here with maladapted coping mechanisms that I have to work with. So that's the show. Thank you, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. just kidding. But that's, you know, so, so what I try to convey, I was just happy to hear you read it. You kind of had to because you're working on it. Yeah. But, but to people is like what I consider to be really good news, which is that we don't have to be someone we're not ever. Yeah. We don't have to be someone that we're not. And believing that there was a bad me and a good me is just like, it's eaten out of the tree of good and evil. And life, and then we live a life of duality all the time, as if those two are differentiators between each other. And I actually don't think that they are. It's, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse right now, so I'll stop talking. <laughs> I really hate that turn of phrase. Beating a dead horse? Whoever beat a dead horse? That's so rude. Right? The I, horse is already I, dead. I, Why are you hitting it? I stopped at looking a gift horse in the mouth. Like, even that makes me feel somewhat uncomfortable. what is uncomfortable. a gift horse? 
Oh, I mean, it's literally a horse that you get as a gift that you didn't pay for. Like, you'd look in its mouth to see because its oral health is indicative of its oral health. Oh, so you're, like, health. basically going, like, oh, thanks for the free horse. Yeah. You look at your is, is the, gives the gift receipt in, in this bag? Yeah, basically that's what you're doing. Oh. Yeah, what's, up with, what's up with horses, though? Yeah. Let's leave them out of this. You know? Well, as long as we're on it, if you ask me, it's totally screwed up that we ride horses. Like, I get it when there was wagons and, like, it was the only mode of transportation. No, but think about this for a minute. Imagine if there were little dominant monkeys running around, and they could just jump on our back, break us. I mean, that's what they say. They say we're going to break this horse. <laughs> yeah. So little monkeys breaking you. This took a really weird turn. <laughs> no, go, but go. Is it Please proceed. it's weird that we treat an animal that way? We, we talk about animal cruelty and all this other stuff, and I'm not anti-horse, but it just seems odd to me that predominantly rich women have a hobby of riding horses... I'm alienating a bunch of people. And very, very, very small jockey people. Yeah. Yeah. Who get to dominate this large animal and make it do what they... Yeah. It's not weird at all. It's a similar feeling like I'm I'm buying, like, cat food for my cat, and one of the flavors is beef. And I'm thinking, since when does a cat take down a cow? Right. That's that just not going to happen. Sense. That's never going to happen. Like if you got like 20 to 30 cats together and they were able to like move past the yeah. like social contract that they would need in order to do that, I'd be more worried about it. Right. But even like salmon's a stretch because I look at like my cat Penelope. She's like this big. I'm like, you're not reaching into a river and taking a wild salmon. Yeah, That's not know. real. Well, what do you think about Tuna the- I'm open to because it's at least a fun imaginative stretch. And chicken I feel like she could get. So I'm well, willing to give her the chicken. Along those lines, though, shouldn't human beings only eat something that they would naturally be able to kill in the wild? Yeah, but if we, yeah, I mean, but it depends as a kill group. People and stuff, huh? Like with, like cavemen's chicken. We figured out how to kill pretty much everything at this point, man. We've got the technology. We do, huh? Yeah. Yeah, even our um, bare fists, like that, um, like that hiker who killed a mountain lion. Bold. That was so bold. That guy that just was... like, he's like, cat, bring it. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's like, it wasn't too far from here, was no. it? No, it wasn't. It was Wait, like, what is that story about? I don't know that. There was a mountain, there was a jogger out the other day, and a mountain lion attacked him, and he fought off the mountain lion with his bare hands. Prefer trail runner, I believe. Sorry, trail runner. Appropriate trail phrase. Runner. And on NPR, yeah. they said that he was, he was he, right. Sorry, sorry, to, sorry to all the trail runners out there for calling you a jogger. Yeah. It's jogging. <laughs> It was a ten. It was a ten-month-old mountain lion too. So it was, it was a baby. Well, almost. Uh, I think it was like almost adolescent. I and wished. I would like to say I'd have that encouraged to fight him off. I, I just see myself going into a ball of panic, <laughs> just sort of a fetal ball of panic. Yeah, yeah. You'd like to think you're like karate chop. Like you would find like a cool way to do it, and right. like you game plan it. Right. Um, but it's a jungle cat, so probably not. Yeah, there's not a lot of... Just knowing my own reflexes, I don't think I would be able to take down a jungle cat. Education was on your topics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lauren suggested education. The, you know, the root word... I'm going to mess this up a little bit, Matt. Maybe you can help me, but... The root word, the Latin word for educate, has something to do with drawing out, right? So from within, coming out, which mm-hmm. is very different than traditionally looking at education as something that we just put into people's heads. Yeah. Comments, questions, educate, definition, anybody? So I'm going to go ahead and stand up in favor of a good um, liberal education. 
lowercase l, not political l, but as far as a well-rounded liberal education. I think that the model of education as it currently exists that's geographically located and time-bound by tuition is a dying and defunct model. I think most likely what I see in the future and from what I read um, – I think we're going to move more towards a lifelong subscription-based model that's not geographically oriented. And I think it's going to challenge universities to have to figure out what their specialties are because they cannot like dominate because they're close to the Rocky Mountains. And I think it's going to have to take a different approach to lifelong learning. I don't think getting one piece of paper after four years when you're 22 accurately prepares you for the 21st century economy. And so I think you're going to have to have a long-standing relationship with an institution of higher learning. And so I, I think we move more towards a subscription model in the long run, which I think is probably more affordable for everybody because then instead of the expectation that you spend four years not making any money going to school, which is a terribly privileged thing that most people don't get the opportunity to do, becomes a little bit more open. And I think it allows people to you know, do years of service. And I think Kirsten Gillibrand has come out and said people should do two years of service. And I wholeheartedly believe in community service or Teach for America or Peace Corps, something like that. And if you can balance that with an education, take it into a longer space and give people the financial flexibility, I think you bring more people into the quote-unquote classroom. I think you take advantage of um, rural education, where I think there's a whole untapped sector of wealth of knowledge that we don't currently get to access just because we're too far away from the centers of knowledge. And in general, that the longer you have a relationship with learning, the higher your quality of life. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's something to be said from a quality of life and, and longevity perspective as well. So mm -hmm. I don't think Sudoku and reading the New York Times is going to suffice it. And I know for from you as my mentor and one of my mentors that you're always going after new education and the people we work with are constantly going back for continuing education. But it seems like there's only certain fields that require that. And I think that that will go poof. Mm. Mm. I mean, I, I wonder um, where, I mean, in the future, it's kind of inevitable that um, there's going to be more robotics involved um, and they're going to be placing a lot of workers. I wonder what education is going to look like in the future because um, now um, with new technology and people are learning coding and all that stuff, I wonder what skills are going to need to be learned um, in the future, whether it's, is it going to be more soft skills? Is it going to be hard skills? That's, I guess that's my question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about it, too. I mean, I look back on my education, and a lot of people ask me, because I was a humanities major, right? So there technically really isn't anything that I learned that I'm applying. I say that at first blush. But then I consider all the artists that I studied, I consider all the, the breadth <laughs> of different writers and expansiveness. And if nothing else, I think my education kind of shook things loose and etch-a-sketched it in a way that I was like, okay, life is like a canvas. Like if all these people can create stuff, why can't I create something? You know, I didn't know what that was. I had no plan, but, it, but my life became about being creative in different types of ways. So, you know, it's hard for me to imagine that that happened without also reading a bunch of poetry and looking at a bunch of art and understanding mm -hmm. art as a longer context. I think it influenced the way I think and the way that I see things. I'm not so sure it actually taught me anything tangible. So I, yeah. I have a hard time when people say like, well, then you're going to get out of school and you don't have a job, da, 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 like that for, for, because of the privileged situation. That was not my story. My story was like, it was a good thing to do when I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, and of course, you know, 30 years ago, 
people thought you're just a loser and not going to make it if you didn't graduate from college. Today, that's very different. Mm -hmm. You know, there's people doing it all the time. What do you want in your education? What are you hoping for? I don't know what I'm hoping for, but I do know with regards to what you're talking about with like continuing education, one of the issues today is that pretty much everyone my age just went to college because that's what you do. Mm. No, some of them have plans, some of them have goals, but like at least me, I know I went to college because I wanted to move out and that was what the plan was for mm. all four of my older brothers. That's what the plan was for me. So a lot of kids leave home and they go to college and they have no idea what they're going to do. Mm. And then maybe they get a degree, maybe they don't, but a lot of them, it's just to get the piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really true. Yeah. What I worry about as far as the piece of paper is recognizing the cost of that piece of paper. Mm-hmm. You know, I think if you look fundamentally at the market dynamics that exist now versus what existed when you were going to school, the cost of tuition was so low that you could work a job and directly pay for it. Mm-hmm. And that you were essentially a net negative or a net like neutral mm-hmm. on that perspective. And so you could get out of college and on your first paycheck, you're taking 10, 20% putting it into savings. That's real savings. Mm-hmm. And then you can buy a house and then you can get married and then you can have a kid and you can invest in things. And what I look around right now from the cohort that I'm in, I'm looking at people who are working way more than full-time who are basically paying the equivalent of a mortgage in their student loan debt who are waiting longer to get married who are waiting longer to buy houses who are waiting longer to invest in the market and i think the downstream effect of what happens when the boomers drop off of the market and when we're in it as the kind of late millennials it's i think there's an opportunity for someone to step in and and make a case for student loan debt which is now the second largest supply of debt in the United States, second only to mortgages. It's crazy. If you were to get rid of that student loan debt or find some way to transmute it or translate it into something different, the economic boom that comes from that, from the people who have aged out and aged into those student loan payments, that's for the average person, hundreds if not thousand dollars a month that Mm -hmm. they could be using in the economy to stimulate the economy Mm -hmm. without anything else changing. So Mm -hmm. seems like an opportunity for someone who can make that case. I would agree. I would agree. All right. Well, do you have any questions? Um, you anything you want to ask me or Matt or? Not in particular. Nothing in particular? No. What about you, Lauren? You got anything? I can, right now I can just stall and just say a bunch of things, but I don't have anything at this very second. That's cool. How about you, Maddie? You got any questions you want to ask? I don't run out of questions often, but I kind of did. Yeah. I mean, now that we've started off on politics and sports, we could go all over the place. Right. You know, but... I'd like to look at it this way. What are you looking forward to as far as your intention for this month of February? What are you trying to hold as your guiding star? That's that's a great question. Um, right now, I'm trying to... Uh, I've had my hands in so many things. That's been amazing. But I, um, I, I extended myself to the point where I can't do more and I'm not doing a bunch of things that I really love well. Mm. Um, and that's been hard to accept because I love this idea of like no limits, right? Like it's not so much you can do all of it. It's a variation of that. Mm-hmm. It's more like, you know, well, this seems so good. Why wouldn't I give my attention to that? And why don't I do some of this and yeah. do some of this over here? But meanwhile, you know, like there's certain bigger goals within like this organization, for example, AIM and what we're doing with Boulder Integrated Health and Made Life that 
became secondary as I was working on other things, but we have primary goals that we're trying to get to. So it's a long-winded way of saying I've accepted I can't do all things and I need mm. to focus my energy to its what I consider to be its its highest value or its or its highest good, which isn't monetary necessarily, because actually you make less money if you do less things. But focusing on what your primary purpose is. So my primary purpose right now is like to to take the next step with AIM House and, and Boulder Integrated Health and looking at how we can develop a continuum right here in Boulder that, that really serves needs across the board. Um, I see very, some really missing spaces within that, so I'm, I'm super excited about that. Um, but mostly it's kind of realizing that at 51 years old, you know, I have to choose now, you know? And up until now, I didn't really have to choose. It's a great problem to have, I have choices, but it was just do it all before. And now it's kind of like, no, where can you focus your energy and still have time for self-care <laughs> and have time for, you know, being the dad that I want to be and being present in my marriage. And, you know, so so that's really it. It's actually for me about kind of narrowing my focus. My intention is to continue to narrow that focus and write things down that everything I've been living in an, an, an entirely oral culture, which is wonderful. But as you and I have talked about, it has its limitations mm -hmm. also and requires people to be intuitive instead of like, you know, give them the information. So, so yeah, so it's, it's that kind of a thing. It's like an, it's an edge that's always growing, but I'm sort of le learning right now. Like, it's like, what's my craft? What is it that I need to be focusing? What am I building? What am I doing? And how, how should I spend my day? So that informs everything else, if that makes sense. Fair. Thanks. Long-winded <laughs> answer. But how about you? What's your intention for February? Well... I'm starting to have my first like real round of tests in school. Yeah. So I'm kind of just trying to keep this train moving. Right. And heading in the right direction because, like I said, that's uh that's pretty much all that's on the mind these days for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just kind of getting through that. Mm -hmm. How about you, Maddie? Well, I was just reminded of the phrase "trains only go one way," which is not technically even true because sometimes you can have engines Wind on both sides and you kind of go back and forth. But yeah. I like the turn of phrase. Terrible saying. I also just recently found out that uh. <laughs> The coldest winter I ever spent was a summer in San Francisco. Mark Twain didn't say that. It's totally... He didn't say it? No, it's not a Mark Twainism. Who said it? Uh, no, I don't know. It's urban legend. So I read, read it in the San Francisco Chronicle. Was that a cinematic, like, like... I think that was one of those things that just, like, popped up into the ether and people bought it. Well, how did you find out Mark Twain didn't say it? It was a um, Snopes article that was in the San Francisco Chronicle about commonly thought San Franciscoisms. Which, as a Bay Area native, I, of course, immediately clicked on that clickbait and went straight to it. And I was like, ooh, what do I not know? <laughs> yeah. Coldest winter I ever had was walking my dog at three degrees last night. Woo! That was cold. And the older you get, the colder you get. Just fair Quick. warning, like, pro tip to y'all, you're going to get cold as hell as you get older. Just so you know. I, I do want to take one moment, maybe just to, because my idea is to just show up vulnerably and be present, yeah. which requires me to, like, be authentic, which scares the crap out of me, sure. and I don't like it, and it makes me feel uncomfortable. Sure. So in that spirit, we want to talk about the windshield factor. Oh, yeah. 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 So we were talking before <laughs> the show about how the things that we understood when we were younger, and by younger we mean way later than probably we should, um, we just had fundamentally mixed up. Late you know, teens, to be Late specific. teens, yeah. So, like, this was about the same time that I found out that, like, my girlfriend thought that crapshoot was literally a tube to poop went down and it wasn't a gambling reference. <laughs> and so when she, like, when her dad taught well, her, like, I was relationships are... old when I learned that. Today? Yeah. Yep. Just like yep. that? Yep. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's a crapshoot. It's a dice reference. So <laughs> it's, it's, uh, her dad told her relationships are a crapshoot. And when I broke that down for her, that was a totally different understanding of that turn of phrase. 
but we were talking just before the show about the windshield factor and the wind chill factor. Tell them, Dan. Well, so when I was growing up, I always thought the wind chill factor was like the temperature of your windshield. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was windshield factor. Not dissimilar to my son, um, who just until recently thought Alzheimer's was old timer's disease. Yep. <laughs> That's a good one, right? Yeah. Which yeah. is loosely related to the Hall & Oates song, Kiss on My List, which my stepmother thought was Kiss on My Lips and would sing it over and over again. The most bizarre, I'm going off on a tangent here, but uh, my brother-in-law, Michael, thought that the song Start Me Up, the Rolling Stones song, was Scorpio, my moon star, moon star, which yeah. it isn't. I thought Flutie Flakes was supporting um, artistic <laughs> children. Not autistic children. And I didn't understand as a child why we were giving them money. Anyway, like, back to the windshield. Yeah. So I thought it was the temperature of the windshield. Matt said that he thought it was... The temperature that you would have if the windshield was in front of you blocking the wind. Which so is it, actually kind of close to the truth. It's the inverse. Yeah. Right. yeah it's kind of close. It's, it, but now if there was the no wind, of the what the temperature would be. Off. Yeah. I don't understand how you assume that, though. Like... That just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, there's the temperature outside, <laughs> right? and then there's the temperature as if you were inside of a car. And what would be the temperature shielding you? Exactly. Is the windshield factor. Yeah. It'd be like the, the actual motorcycle riding on your face temperature. Exactly. Yeah. Well. So I always adjusted up and got really confused. People were like, oh, yeah, it's going to be negative 15 with the windshield factor. I'm like, well, the windshield factor, you have add 15. So it's actually like 30. But yours degrees. was a smart... Like, not knowing, mine was just like, well, it's the temperature of the windshield. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, y'all. Hi. And, we're, and we've both made it this far in life so it's far. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's it's pretty crazy. <laughs> All right, well, if you guys don't have any other questions, I say we wrap it up mm-hmm. here pretty good. Thank okay. you. Thanks sure. for coming. Okay. All right. Thanks for coming on. Max, how was this for you? That was a good time. You come back again sometime? Probably. Maybe we'll launch the sports show. We'll get another sports show going. That'd be fun. Yeah. Well, if you were to do your own podcast, what are you going to call it? I can help you. You... you- <laughs> Just kidding. Direct competitor. <laughs> Just that? Direct competitor. The direct competitor yeah, podcast. Yes, that's actually pretty good. <laughs> yeah. You gonna, you have an interest in podcasting? You like doing this? Uh, it's fun. I don't I don't know if I'll start my own, but it's yeah. fun to be on here. Well, what if we required you to start your own? What would you call it? You can't put me on the spot like that, Danny. I'm sorry. And it, nor would I ever require somebody to do a podcast. Max volume. Yeah, max volume. Ooh, I like yeah. it. Mighty Max. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lauren, you got anything else for us before we sign off? Do I have anything? Well, you can follow us on Instagram at I Can't Help You Pod. You can find us on Facebook. We have a Facebook group. It's I Can't Help You Pod. We're on Twitter. Also, shocker, I Can't Help You Pod. Like us. Follow us. Please validate us. We love your validation. Make comments. Um, email us at help at I can't help you.org. Yes, we are an organization and we try, but trying isn't cute. However, no. just listen to us. We love you. Shout out to our sponsor, Sweet Cow. Thank you, Sweet Cow. Thank you, Sweet Cow. And Once again, thank you to Made Life. This is being brought to you from the Made Life Studios. Check out our creative accelerator programs, which are available to the community here. Um, appreciate you guys coming in. Thank you so much. We'll do it again, Matt. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. Signing off. See you guys next time. Thanks so much.